You are listening to the Magnetic Marketing Marketing Secret Gold Members Only Podcast. So, uh, welcome to Undersea World. Um, the, um, I'm, uh, I'm on the 10th floor. I'm in the presidential suite. It's very nice. It's equipped with four orange vests, an inflatable raft, uh, and a flare gun. Uh, and all the, all the cushions on the couch are, are flotation devices. So it's, if you haven't looked outside, um, in case you were thinking of like stealing an hour or two to go anywhere, um, I'm on the 10th floor, so I have this, the view out my window uh, from the presidential suite is the parking lot. And, um, uh, you know, it ain't Disney. Um, and uh, so, so, so this morning I've been watching the, um, the rather elderly employees here loading pairs of animals onto this large wooden thing. I'm not sure it, I'm not sure it, it I'm, I'm not sure it bodes well. My record with this is not good. So uh, I've been at two seminars where we have flooded. And um, uh, one in Key West, um, a, for those of you who know him, um, I was speaking at Gary Halbert's seminar. And, um, you know, Key West in hurricane season, what could go wrong? Um, so we were there and um, um, hurricane, kind of. Uh, they encouraged people to evacuate. Uh, at, the lat- at the close of the third day of the seminar, the water in the parking lots was over the hood of the cars uh, when we emerged and all the power was out. So there's a graduation photo somewhere, I don't have it, Carlton may have it, of ev- the headlights on all the cars got turned on so there was some light and then people stood on the hoods of other cars in, for the group photo. Um, and literally, water was still, you know, ankle to knee high. Of course, they couldn't, and we're all stuck there now because we and the people in the witness protection program have not evacuated. Um, that, there's crossover, by the way, between a Halbert audience and people in the witness protection program. Uh, so we are there, no, no lights. Therefore, no electricity, therefore, no way to cook anything. So the, the hotel restaurant, if you've been to Key West, the, it, it's the pier house, the, uh, the, they just like gave up. So they just gave us the bar, gave us the restaurant, and said, do what you will. So, you know, people are eating anything that does not have to be heated um, in order to survive the evening. Fortunately, booze does not have to be heated. So, um, so we got by. Uh, the, other, the other seminar, I'm in uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania, and uh, we are, uh, we've got about, I don't know, 150 doctors in a meeting room in the basement of the beautiful Allentown, Pennsylvania Holiday Inn. And this is a seminar where we are selling something, so it leads to the sale of a coaching program. And um, I'm not on stage at the moment, and another speaker's up there. And uh, I notice, if, how many of you have basements at home? You got basements? Okay, if you live here, you don't have basements. Cause, <laughs> uh, but if you live in some sane place, um, you probably have a basement, and therefore you probably have like the little windows close to the top of the basement. So I'm in the back of the meeting room, and I look up, and there's water sloshing against these windows, like you're in an aquarium. And, and I thought, gee, that's odd, you know. So I meandered up the staircase to the lobby of the Holiday Inn, where everybody is gone. The place is empty. And the glass doors, there's water sloshing at the handles. So outside, the place is flooded. Water is creeping its way in through the bottom of the door and dampening the carpet. You know, this is not a good sign, especially since we are meeting in the basement. We are roughly 
65, 70 minutes away from the close of the sale. So now I can go down there and tell everybody we have this problem and get them out safely. <laughs> or, so if it floods out there, you ain't going to know it. Uh, just um, so, so I'm at Disney yesterday. And, um, you know, if, if you're a stockholder at Disney, you view this differently than, I mean, so Florida, are there any residents? Does anybody actually live here? Really? Um, so, so when you move to Florida, they, there's a law. They all, by the way, anytime I ask for a show of hands, you'll learn more if you look back there than if you look at me, because otherwise I'm the only one getting any information out of that question. Um, so there, there's a handful, a couple handfuls of people who live here. They're all clustered towards the back, by the way, so they can get to higher and safer ground. Um, but uh, so the, when you move here, you have to sign a pledge. There's a law that you will lie to everybody out of state about the weather. And so it, people who live in Florida, they are the worst liars on the planet. Okay. They have all memorized this line. Here's what they've memorized. They all have a script, okay, and they've all memorized it perfectly. You should have been here last week. The weather was perfect until you got here. That, it's okay. So they've, they've practiced that in front of a mirror like a personal injury attorney practices, keeping a straight face. And, and you know, and they're not. So, at, so I'm at Disney yesterday and walking around in the rain, you know, and you, if you don't know it, um, Disney makes a bazillion million dollars a year with these yellow rain poncho things. They're disposable. They like last for one or two wearings. And when it starts to rain, they have them squirreled away in every gift shop, every kiosk, every, every place. They're not visible until it begins raining. And then they get them all out because everybody needs a poncho, you know, because if you've spent like your life savings to come down here and get a park hopper pass, you're, you, you ain't going anywhere. It's not like you're going to go back and sit in a hotel and play cards with the kids for the next three days. You are braving the elements, you know. So, so they invented these some years ago, and they get them out, and everybody comes in and buys ponchos. And I'm told by a reliable source that it's the highest profit margin of anything they sell. Okay? So they're disposable. They fall apart um, conveniently in water. Um, uh, they're, uh, they're, of course, made in China, uh, which, as you know, Disney opens in China next year. So finally, the kids that make the toys are going to be able to see the toys. Um, so they make these things in, they make these things in China. And they fall apart, you know. And so, I, so I'm in. They pray for rain, by the way. Disney, Disney employs Indians to, to do this dance every day. Because the Imagineers, when we were down here with a, I had a coaching group down here, and we had this big meeting with a couple of Imagineers. One of the things that they told us is that their dollars per head go up on bad weather days on site because people spend more time in the gift shops than they do on nice days. So they are actually, they got Indians in a room somewhere jumping up and down and doing a rain dance every morning. They like this. But they really like the afternoon thunderstorm because everybody's already over there thinking it was going to be okay, you know. And, and it's not because, in case you didn't know it, even on good days, Florida has an afternoon thunderstorm. Central Florida every day, 365 days out of the year, unless it's snowing or there's a locust attack, there's an afternoon thunderstorm. So I don't care, step out in the morning, sun, and everybody's deluded, and off they go, and now they're over there, and the Indians dance, and Disney produces rain, right? So I heard somebody say yesterday to somebody, well, the only thing Walt couldn't control was the weather, and I thought to myself, little do you know. <laughs> so, so, so they're getting the ponchos out, you know, yesterday, and, and as a stockholder, I'm, so there's a nice couple, you know, they look like they've saved up for a while, and they got three kids with them. Um, uh, uh, generally speaking, 
the more close together kids, the more it's a lock that they've saved up to come because the reason they got them kids is they don't have enough money to go do any other sort of entertainment or recreation. So, so they got these three kids, you know, stacked, one of which is beginning to cry, you know, because it's pouring rain, and, and dad's a little grumpy because it's pouring rain, and so they're in the gift shop where the things are, you know, and, and, and I hear her say to the clerk, you know, we, we already own ponchos, but we left them back in the hotel room, which, by the way, you hear all the time. And the clerk, of course, says, oh, what a shame. And that'll be $48, ma'am. And, and, and as a stockholder, you, like, go, you know, and it's a pretty good bet they'll leave these in the room tomorrow because it will be sunny in the morning, you know. So here, that's, that's, that's you know, the Disney deal. So the first piece of like money-making advice I have for you is anytime you come to Florida, bring a rain poncho, and I, no matter where you go, but particularly if you go to a park, take your rain ponchos with you in the morning. I don't care what they said on the weather forecast. I don't care how much sun there is. So if you're here for the next three days and you get nothing else, I just made you like two, three hundred bucks, depending on how many kids you got. You know, so we're eking away at getting back your principal for being in the room. So, so that's, that's my day uh, yesterday at Disney. So I want to talk about, oh, I wanted to call your attention to, I almost for, forgot, we learned from Disney. So in case you didn't notice, at the back, we have GKIC umbrellas. <laughs> and we have GKIC, no, no, no. No, that would have been a good idea, sponges. No, we have GKIC emergency flashlights. So you might want to pick up some supplies um, because I think it's going to get ugly. Okay. Um, I've been in rooms like this, on stages like this now for actually a tick more than 40 years, depending on how you want to count. And uh, it's nowhere near a record, you know, like you all raised your hands for Brian Tracy and Brian's about... 50, 55 years older than I am. So, um, so you know, he, he's probably, he probably maybe holds the record. I don't know. But, um, but I've been in a lot of these rooms. And, um, and more importantly, um, I've done stuff offstage that kind of makes it reasonable for me to be up on stage. And so when we started to think about this, what what we could do this morning that, you know, would be of real value to you. I just thought I would dredge through the years and pick out the things that maybe demonstrate some of the most valuable principles, big stuff, not micro, how many words ought to be in a headline and that sort of thing. And so the first story, some of you certainly will have heard, but it bears telling a lot because it gets us to a mistake that all entrepreneurs make again and again and again and again. Um, And so some years ago, many of you know, for, oh, 10 years or so, I did an enormous amount of work in the TV infomercial field. I don't do as much anymore. Basically, Guthy Ranker is the only client that I have that I'm really working on TV with. But I did a lot of shows. And, um, And I was fairly well known in the industry, and people were always calling, asking me to, write a script or fix a script. Usually it was that. It was MASH stuff. They were always calling me to fix a show, fix a script. Um, but I got this call, uh, and uh, uh, her first name's Pam. Can't remember her last name, but she was a VP at a company called Media Arts at the time, which was a fairly good-sized infomercial company. And she called, and, and even then I was expensive. I was not as expensive as I am now, but sort of comparatively I was expensive and she said you know we really don't have the budget for you to do the show to be with us working on the show but we'd like you to either critique the script and write the CTAs the call to actions within the show or at least just write the CTAs and we'll either pay you your day rate just flat fee or we'd rather not pay you at all, 
but give you a royalty on the revenue of the show. And uh, I said, so what's the show? <clears throat> and she said, well, we're doing this show. We're selling a set of DVDs that teach people how fish think. And I said, I'll take, I'll take the fee. <laughs> and um, uh, so, so this show turns out there's a guy um, who, at the time, people paid between $5,000 and $10,000 each to go out in a boat with this guy, six at a time, um, and on a lake for a day. And he would personally teach them how the fish in the lake think so they could catch the fish. Right. Now, I, so uh, just for the record, it's not like the fish went online, took the assessment, got their F score. It doesn't, it's not that deal. But, uh, uh, but it, so it predates actually internet. Maybe now that's what the guy's got the fish doing. But so people were paying money to go out in a boat and he would teach them how fish think. Now it turns out a couple things that I didn't know when I said, I'll take the fee. All right. First of all, there's, it's not that they think, but apparently like on the ground under the water, there's these patterns. You could make a map out of them, which is what this guy does. And the fish are like little toy cars that run on a track. So fish actually follow these patterns around. And if you know where the patterns are, you know where the fish are, right? So that's the level of fish intelligence that there is. So I guess it validates intelligent design. Somebody put the thing there and the fish follow it around. So I didn't know that. The second thing I really didn't know is how many insane fishermen there were in America. Uh, they rival golfers in number and rabidity. Okay? So if you remember Tin Cup and the Kevin Costner character is loaded up with every stupid gadget that you can buy to try and improve your golf score, that's a fisherman, except he's wet. Okay? So I didn't know this. Okay? Now, what's really, so what's really dumb, oh, and by the way, some of them compete for money. I didn't know that either. There's actually money. So there's sponsors, and there's competitions, and you can actually make like a hundred grand if you know how fish think and your competitors don't know how fish think. So there's a money play to this. So I didn't know any of this. And that really is the point because before I gave my answer, I could have known some of it if I had not been lazy and stupid. For example, I could have gone to Standard Rate and Data Service srds.com for those of you that are unfamiliar, and I could have looked up all the mailing lists that are on the rental market of stuff for fishermen. And I could have seen how many there are who subscribe to magazines about this. I could have seen how many there are who buy stuff. I could have seen how many buy stuff at what price points. I could have seen every 90 days how many new people come into the pond and buy stuff about how to fish better, smarter, faster, and catch a bigger fish than the guy in the boat next to you. I could have also seen how many people own fishing boats. I could have seen how many people renew their license every year versus don't renew their license every year. I could have seen in these companies lists how many have multi-buyers, meaning they buy more than one thing from them during the course of the year, indicating rabidity. I could have seen the 90-day purchase history. So I could have educated myself about the market before I gave my response. If I was a little more aggressive, you know, I could have found a store that sells all this crap to fishermen, and I could have gone down there and walked around on a Saturday and engaged people in conversations, and I would have seen they're like selling a lure for 50 bucks. One thing that you put in the water and it 
lights up, it spins around, it makes noises. It, 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 it's incredible how much crap there is, by the way. So I could have done all that, but I didn't, right? I reacted just like you reacted when I said it. You all laughed at it, which is exactly what I did, and grabbed the fee. So the show ran for five and a half years um, um, on pretty much every sporting cable channel there is. Um, every Saturday morning, if you have full cable, you got like all the channels. When you get past the black people channel and the gay people channel and the Mexican people channel and the Chinese people channel and the Russian channel, you find the sports channels. I don't mean ESPN, I mean the weird-ass sports channels, which is where the outdoor guy shows are. So this thing was there every Saturday, like on every one of those channels, every half hour they could buy for five and a half years. And I have long ago let myself forget what the 3% royalty would have been for the five years but I will tell you it was a significant multiple of my day fee. Um, and, uh, and every year on the anniversary of my decision, um, um, she sent me like a fish thing. You know, the fish you put on a wall that has the motion thing in it and it talks to you when you walk past it. That sort of stuff. You know, um, which did not make up for not having the money. So, so the the moral of this point is: do your homework. As as a consultant, I can't tell you how many people have. It's less now because I'm far more selective. But how many people have passed through my office, and they have a what can charitably be called a harebrained scheme. They have done like almost no homework. They have an idea and they are off to the races spending money and trying to persuade people they have a good idea. And if you're not asking intelligent questions, you can, you can do them in, in like the first three, four, five, six, seven minutes if you watch Shark Tank that Barbara is on, which you should if you don't, by the way, um, it's, uh, it, it happens on there all the time. People come on, and the bald-headed guy usually, who is the guy I like best, by the way, no disrespect to Barbara, but his personality is sort of more akin to mine, he will ask them a money question, and they don't know it. How, how could you... This is like people, by the way, so how many of you watch Shark Tank? Oh, good for you, okay. How many of you know who Dr. Laura is? Radio person? Okay, good, a lot of you. You'll learn more if you look around at the audience than if you look at me. So if you haven't listened to the Dr. Laura show, the Dr. Laura show, I think it's at least 20 years on radio, it's now on satellite, she's banished to satellite, but, um, but it's there somewhere on, on Sirius, on its, 46,012 stations. Um, uh, but, but if you listen to the Dr. Laura show and you listen to it once and then you listen to it 100 times, all you got is a repeat of the first time you listen to it. So regular people who listen to it all the time call up and they ask her, they pose a problem to her which I completely identifies them as a wimp, a pitiful pathetic, no cojones, no backbone wimp. And she screams at them. And this is what happens every say This is the show. Right? Now, so I say to myself, if you listen to the show, seemingly you would know that if you say X, this is the response you are going to get. 
So my theory is she's really like running a dominatrix operation for free with no whip. Is the, 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 this is what this show is. So Shark Tank's the same deal. If you're going to go on Shark Tank and you watch Shark Tank and you see these people come apart like a Disney poncho after a rainstorm because they, because they don't know the answer to three basic questions and they're the same three questions, seemingly at some point, a guy would say to himself, gee, before I go there, I might want to have the answers to these three questions because somebody might ask me, you know, but apparently people don't think that way. So, I, and we have a couple people in the tank competition, by the way. We have, by the way, we have some really good ones and we have some ones that I think aren't going to go very far. I looked at it all. And in the ones that aren't going to go very far, in part, haven't done a lot of homework. It just, it feels like, oh boy, I got an idea, let's go pitch an idea. You know, more than it feels like somebody has really thoughtfully prepared. So people who do their homework make more money. People who know their numbers make more money. It's always been true. The clients I have who make the most money they thoughtfully get into things because it's always easier to get into something than it is to get out of something. Trust me. And they really know their numbers. So like Grant Miller here from Sun, Sun Your Bonds, Steve Adams, who's in my titanium group, has got 21 pet stores is right up here in the front. These guys, you can't, you can't stump them with a numbers question. You just can't do it. They know like every single damn number. If we mailed this, how many came from this? How many were at this value six months later? How many? They, they know this stuff. And when they do new stuff, they really do their homework. So not doing my homework cost me some money. I have made the mistake again, by the way, of course. Um, but, I mean, I'm a guy. Uh, but, uh, but I've only made it a few more times over 40 years. Uh, and I've stopped myself from making it a goodly number of times and gone and done research before I got myself in something. The second thing that is really a biggie is this thing called place strategy. And so an awful lot of people act like they have roots, like a tree, you know, and here's where we conduct business, therefore that's where we must always conduct business. Here's where we sell things, and that's where we must always sell things. One of the things you'll learn if you, if you walk around Disney and you really pay attention, Disney is rife with things that could not be sold anyplace else for the prices that they are sold at Disney. Rife with them. And there's also, if you walk around a Walmart store, you will find things that could not be sold pretty much anyplace else but in a Walmart store. And so different price ends of the spectrum, but place strategy is very, very important. I, uh, my first and only job, uh, um, because I am profoundly unemployable, um, uh, uh, which... Even long-time clients will validate that, let alone an employer. So my one and only job job uh, was in 1973. And uh, uh, the guy who was my sales, the company doesn't exist anymore. It's been bought and merged and bought and merged and bought and merged. The product line still exists, by the way, but the company's long since gone. The national sales manager is someplace else. But So I had that job for one year in 19, 10 months in 1973, the national sales manager is still pissed off at me. Right? He's still mad. It's incredible, but he's still mad. Uh, I saw him at Book Expo about 10 years ago at the company he's now with, walked over and said, hi, Chuck, and I got an earful, you know, which started with, you son of a bitch. I mean, and this is, this is like, you know, two decades after the fact. I'm going, Chuck, you know, really? Get out of my booth. Okay, fine, 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 fine. Yeah. Um, it was a rocky 10 months. But, but it started rocky because of them. 
so I'm a territory sales rep for this book publishing company. It was then called Price Stern Sloan. And you may know it for, for a thing called Mad Libs. It's probably the only thing you would know Price Stern Sloan for. Um, and so if you don't know what that is, I'm sure you can Google Mad Libs and it'll be there. Um, but in those days, they were a full kind of novelty gift book company, cookbooks, coloring books. Um, they had a book about how to grow marijuana and not get caught. Uh, we had, uh, we were eclectic. Uh, we had joke books by like Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, the year I worked for them, they sold a million copies. Uh, it was on the New York Times bestseller list of a book called the Push Button Telephone Songbook, which gave you songs that you could, you dialed, you got somebody on the phone, and then you pushed the buttons and you could play Merry Little Lamb or something, right? Um, uh, think about that in today's, you know. Um, I mean, now you can email them an orchestra. Um, but, but then you called them up and you pressed this thing. So, so anyway, when I got hired for Price Learns Loan, the one thing they didn't tell me is they handed me over all the account records, which were almost entirely bookstores, book departments and department stores, which don't exist anymore, but did, um, and gift stores. They didn't tell me that the previous three reps had gone through there one right after the other, and they, they sold racks. So they'd placed a lot of racks, and then nobody had given them any service, and like everybody was mad. I, I got to discover that for myself. Um, uh, so third day, I'm in a drugstore in Strongsville, Ohio, Cricks, and, uh, and the guy chases me out in the parking lot throwing rack parts at me. Um, this, so I quickly figured out that the existing accounts were not exactly a good productive place to go spend a lot of time uh, initially. And so, but they consisted of all the places you would logically go put a rack of books. Right? However, that's now off limits, which forced me to figure out how to put a rack of books in a car wash, how to put a rack of books in a motel lobby, how to put a rack of books in a toy store, how to put a rack of books everywhere you wouldn't think to put a rack of books. And that's how I spent my first six months at Price Turns Lawn. And by the way, I placed a lot of racks, and a lot of racks did more dollars per square foot in these weird places than they did in the logical places because at the time they had no competition. So if you walk into a luxury car wash now, the, and you get out of your one where you get out of your car, the lobby is full of stuff they sell you. Now most of it's still car stuff, but in 1973 that was unheard of. The car wash existed where you get out of your car, but there was like nothing there but a Coke machine and some chairs. So you stuck this rack in there, you had a guy for 10 minutes with nothing to do except look at your rack, right? A motel lobby, what's in a motel lobby? Nothing. Ham the, you know, the Motel 6 and up to a Holiday Inn. They don't have gift stores. So this was the winner, right? So this was pure place strategy. If you think about my client, Guthy Ranker, so Proactive is a $800 million a year business, acne stuff. What did they do? They took a product that lives on the drugstore shelf and they moved it to television. And by doing so, they took a $4 to $9 product and they made it a $39 product. That's a big leap in price by place. I own, um, right now I own 36 racehorses. Um, uh, a few of them, that's a generous description, but nonetheless. Um, and so uh, one of the places that we buy horses is at auctions. And every racehorse auction I've been to in the last five or six years in three different states, the same guy is there with an area about the size of one-third of this room at the, in the barn, in the tent, wherever the horse auction is, with a giant jewelry store. Counters, I mean, it looks just like walking into a real jewelry store. Counters, good-looking women as sales clerks, mostly, 
one guy, five women. That's about the ratio in a jewelry store anyway. But, um, um, and there's only one little shelf, by the way, of like horse jewelry. That's not the gig. Okay? The gig is horse auctions are full of guys who swore on a Bible when they left the house in the morning that they were not going to buy another damn horse. Okay? They took a blood oath with a person for whom they depend on for food and sex that they were not going to buy another damn horse, right? The story usually is, I'm just going with my buddies. I'm going to spend the day. We're going to hang out. Charlie might buy a horse. I'm going to help him look at horses. I'm not buying a horse, okay? That's the usual story, okay? He now buys a $35,000 horse. It's hard to hide. (laughs) You know, you buy a $600 putter, you you can kind of hide the putter in the garage, see the horse. Hmm. Real difficult, right? So, the $35,000 horse and the violation of the blood oath is easier to manage if you come home with a $3,500 tennis bracelet. That's the gig. So this guy owns four real jewelry stores in malls, too. Here's what he tells me. My prices are 15% higher here than they are in my stores. Across the board. And my margin... What I totally make by being here against the cost of being here versus what I make per day in my stores versus the cost of being in my stores is a 14 times multiple. That's, that's really cool place strategy. Now, there's all kind of stuff he doesn't know that we know. So there's no capture of lookers. There's only capture of buyers. There's no follow-up on buyers, because I've bought. So $35,000 horse, <laughs> blood oath, got to eat, kind of want to, so. <laughs> She's got, like, a really big safe. Um, um, if you put all this jewelry one on one, all at one time, you better be on a ground floor. You know, that's about where we are at this point. Uh, so, but there's no follow-up. There's no capture of, gee, who are you buying this for? Wife, girlfriend, mistress, whatever. Great, when's her birthday? You know, when's her birthday? We'll enter in this. See, they don't know any of this stuff that you know because you're here. I don't mean physically in this room necessarily. I mean here in the GKIC sense. See, we know all sorts of things that the overwhelming majority of mere mortals out there don't know. We even know stuff Disney doesn't know. And they're like really smart. But people get really smart about certain things doesn't mean they're smart about everything, right? So there's all sorts of stuff the guy doesn't know. But he does understand place strategy. How many of you, I'll do one more. I'm using up too much time, but this is important. I had 10, I'm gonna do one. So. How many of you know what a chemical deterrent is? A little mace thing on your key ring. You know, if you don't want to shoot somebody, you spray it in their eyes when they attack you. Okay, how many women in here have a key ring uh, chemical deterrent? Raise your hands. Um, Just, it's a piece of information. If you don't have a concealed carry permit and you won't carry a gun, you should have at least a key ring mace unit. At least, okay? So go buy one, okay? Uh, we have a member. If you don't, go to safetytechnology.com. You can buy one from a member of ours. But buy one. You should have it. Right. So here's the deal. So most chemical deterrents, 19, late 1980s, 1990s, here's where most chemical deterrents were sold. On a rack in a convenience store, 7-Eleven. Right. That's where they were sold. Right. partner of mine and I said, Gee, they're selling them there for like nine bucks, right? 
Actually, I think they were $4.95, come to think of it. So I think they were $4.95. All right? Cost about a buck. Okay? I wonder how we could sell them for $49.50. Now, see, this is a question, if you want to write down a question to take home with you, this is a good question. This sells for X. How can we sell it for X times 10? And very often, the answer to that question will be selling it someplace it is not now being sold. Proactive move to the drugstore shelf. We moved the chemical deterrence. We moved mace into the seminar room. So we had reps running around doing crime safety pre prevention classes in real estate offices, uh, uh, insurance offices, any hospitals, any place there was a bunch of women employees who either left work and went into a dark parking lot or met with people one-on-one -on -one like a real estate agent. Right? Companies would let you come in and do the 90-minute class and teach them 10 things, the last two of which were you need key ring chemical deterrence and you need the big honking can of mace right inside your front door and under your car seat and so you need three of them, and you need two of the little ones, and that's $199. Right? And our best reps would close like 90% of the room. Now, it was human dependent, so it's, I'm not suggesting it's a good business because it's dependent on humans. But, but I am suggesting that we took a $4.95 item and we turned it into a $199 average sale right? because we moved the place where it was being sold. Furthermore, there was a rash in the Phoenix area, which is where we were, lasted almost two years, of real estate agent rapes. So the real estate agent meets to show a house and gets assaulted and raped. Okay? So this was like in the news almost every couple of weeks, and it was moving. So it'd be in Scottsdale one time, it'd be in Paradise Valley another, it'd be in Mesa another. Guess where we rushed to do classes? Of course, where the rape occurred, right? Morning news is real estate rape in Scottsdale. Telemarketers immediately on the phone booking classes in Scottsdale, right? Guess what? Closing rate goes up, dollars per head go up, everything goes up. That's a play strategy within a play strategy. That may feel predatory to you. I don't know. Uh, but nonetheless, it's no different than having rain ponchos in a place that rains a lot. It is predatory. Um, but price strategy and play strategy are often predatory. A similar strategy is repurposing products. So. I think I'll just tell you my all-time favorite. So my all-time favorite um, is a product called the Ant Farm. How many of you had an ant farm when you were children? Yeah, there you go, okay? Uh, so the Ant Farm, still sold by the way. I went to Toys R Us the other day to get one, so I would have one to show you. It's a whole new fangled thing with glow-in-the-dark ants, and it projects them on the ceiling, and you know, so I didn't buy it. And because it's not flat, it's in a big square box, and I didn't want to schlep a big square box. But nonetheless, they're still selling the ant farm after all these years. And when you think about it, it's a fabulous toy. I mean, like, what can be better for a kid with a mother than a plastic box in his bedroom full of ants. <laughs> See, this is like, this is really good, right? So, but you see, it wasn't a toy to start with. So Kaufman's whole deal was finding really dead, not particularly successful products and moving them, repurposing them so that they could be very successful products. So the brilliance of the ant farm, it already existed Right, just like this. Look just like this. There's dirt in it. It's got plexiglass on two sides, and it's full of ants. And you can watch the ants move around in the tunnels that they make in the dirt. That's the deal. It existed as a, as a teaching aid 
sold to schools and teachers to have in biology classes. So, does anybody know how many elementary schools there are in America? Anybody know the number? Of course not. Why would anybody know it? Okay. However, it's a safe bet there's less elementary schools than there are kids' bedrooms. Elementary schools, kids' bedrooms. Okay. Also, schools are price sensitive. Moms and kids are less price sensitive because they're only going to buy one of these things. The school system's going to buy 50. They expect to get them dirt cheap. Mama Toys R Us kind of pays whatever the price is on it. So he took a commercial, a B2B product that sold in very small numbers for very low prices, repurposed it as a toy. Now, Cosman did that 22 times, made no less than a million dollars every time he did it. It's formulaic. Repositioning and repurposing will even let people consider a proposition or a product they would not ordinarily consider. So every time there's a bad economy, if you watch television, you see, or in magazines, you see all the gold merchants crawl out from under their rocks. Right? They go away during the booms. You hardly see them. They all come out when there's economic angst, and they sell gold. So how many in here own gold bullion, bricks of gold? Raise your hands. Come on, nice and high. Be proud. Okay, okay not a lot of Glenn Beck listeners. Um, so Glenn Beck lister, anybody here a Glenn Beck lister? Oh, there you go. Okay, so here you saw their hands. Here's what's true of them. If you go to their house and they open, they got, they got to park outside. Because okay? the garage, half of it is full of gold, half of it is full of survival food. <laughs> and there's a little space right here for the lawn chair that they sit in with their gun uh, when, when, they're, when they're at home, right? Um, the TV that doesn't need wires anymore, see, that's a big boon to these people because they can bring it out to the garage, they can sit there with their gun, guard their golden food, and they can watch the ball game all at the same, all at the same time. So the gold guys, so the gold guys all come out right, when there's bad economy. But fundamentally, gold is a lousy proposition to try and sell because a it has no yield. So even at bad yield, two percent in ten years, you made twenty percent on your money, and you like got it, right? The gold just like sits there. Right? There's no yield. There's no guarantee of appreciation. In fact, it's pretty cyclical. So it's reasonably safe bet that it's going to be worth less than you paid for it for some period of time, and then it'll recover to what you pay for. So it's really not a great investment story. Therefore, it can't be sold as an investment story. Therefore, they repurpose it as what? Insurance. Right? It's really sold as insurance against financial Armageddon. It's the orange vests I have up in my presidential suite. That's what it is. Right? And that's the only story that can successfully be told in order to sell it, which requires two things if you think about it. Certain circumstances help it or hurt it, and people of a certain mindset respond to that. So you need to be talking to people of a certain mindset at a certain time in order to really make a lot of money in the gold business. That's a repurposing and a repositioning of a product. We, um, I sold about, I and two partners sold about $10 million worth of brass eagles over a period of five or six years. It's, you may have seen it, it's about, about the height of the clock, okay? maybe a little taller. And it's hollow inside, by the way, it doesn't weigh it much. And it's a brass eagle. The wings are in like this. The wings are not out like this. Because when you ship them in a box, you want the wings in like this. And, and so they were selling these things like his decor items. You would see it in a furniture store. You would maybe see it in a gift shop. 
um, $19.95, cost about four bucks. Um, and uh, you would see it in a few catalogs, and people would buy one because they wanted it on a bookshelf or something. All right? um, we sold them for $49.95. Uh, and so we put a wood base on the bottom that you could put a little nameplate on the front, thereby turning it into an award. Right? And the eagle, of course, is a symbol of, it's heavily used in the multi-level marketing community, uh, which gives out a lot of awards. Right? That's their whole deal. No money, awards. So, uh, so they give out a lot of awards. So we sold eagles 500 at a whack to the United States Navy, the United States Marines, Boy Scouts of America, Philadelphia Eagles NFL team, and pretty much every major downline in Amway, Shackley, Herbalife, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, we repurposed the product just like the ant farm. We moved it to a different market, and therefore we were able to sell 500 of them at a time instead of one at a time. So, I gotta skip. So, I'll show you, show you two other quick. Eh, I'll just show you one Re repositioning thing. So, this is, now this does give you five words that make a difference. So, the financial advisors, financial advisors in the room who work with retirees, senior people, raise your hands nice and proud. There you go. Okay, so a bunch. All right. So, their business, for those of you that don't know, is they call them actually, they have a derogatory term for them, they call them plate lickers. Um, so th their business is uh, get old people in a room by promising them free food and do a seminar and then book appointments and then they come and you take all their money from where it is now and you move it over here and you make some money as it moves. That's the business. Right? And even with free food, putting old people in these workshops is difficult. Right? So this is, this is a magic phrase. Okay, so usually they're advertising free workshop, free seminar, free informational meeting. You don't see that much. I actually kind of invented that. That helped too. But we got a huge boost with this. Free evening with the authors. Now that speaks to several things. It speaks to the high regard people have for authors, by the way. And the older the person is, the more likely they are to have high regard for authors. It repositions workshop, seminar, which they see all the time. They know what's going to happen to them with something that sounds less formal, and they're not sure what's going to happen to them. Changes the game and change the game with one sentence. And for a while in a market, by the way, not only did it bring in more people, it raised the level of investable assets of the people in the room. Double benefit. So you got to think about this. You don't have roots. You're not a tree. You can take, you don't have to sell, first of all, what you've got on your wagon. Because almost every product and every ser service can be repurposed. It can be repurposed for what it is, what it does, or usually, most beneficially, who it is for. It can be moved from a place where it is sold now to a different place where it is sold, thereby allowing it to have greater price elasticity than it does in its current purpose or its current place. So. Let's go back to how fish think for a moment. Mm -hmm. Some of you may be aware of the original, I couldn't find the one with the picture in it, but um, um, the, um, the ads I did with Jeff Paul, um, the key line, I'll just take a minute and let you read this. Um, uh, how you can make, make $4,000 a day uh, sitting at your kitchen table in your underwear. The ads that had the picture had the picture here of Jeff sitting in his polka dot underwear at his table with his computer. Um, and that ad sold essentially a kindergarten be in the information business kind of 
starting point. Now, this is an opportunity magazine. Let's see which one this is. So this is money-making opportunities. Okay, there's a bunch of these if you're unfamiliar with them. There's about 12. And, of course, the ad worked in there because that's the obvious place to put the ad. We had a rule that we would test um, every month. we take some of the money we were making and test other magazines that made no sense at all or might not make any sense at all. And generally, I picked one, he picked one, didn't make any difference. So this ad that worked in the Opportunity magazines kicked butt and took names in American Spectator, which for those of you that don't know is a magazine for, you know, rabid conservatives. So it's people who consider Limbaugh liberal. Read, read American Spectator. It also worked in Mother Earth News, which for those of you who don't know Mother Earth News, this is, this is, you know, for people who consider George McGovern a screaming conservative. People who read Mother Earth News don't wear any shoes. They're all grown-up hippies. They either live or dream of living off of the land with a windmill and a water pump and, and churning butter in the backyard. And this is Mother Earth News, all right? This ad, same ad, no change, no change, worked in both of these places. Now, there's two important things to know about that. I'm going to go three minutes over, that's all, for those of you in the back keeping score. The first thing to know is you don't know unless you test. You don't know. There's a thing you're going to read. I just put it in one of the newsletters. The whole, the people that ran Obama's reelect the president email operation. Um, there's 20 writers and two supervisors. Um, there's a big article. Somebody sent it to me, actually. A member sent it to me. And so for every email that went out, and some days they were sending 20 and 30 different ones, um, they would test 20 to 40 different subject lines for the same email on all these you know, on small segments of the list before they picked a winner. And in order to entertain themselves, they had a betting pool so they could all pick one and throw some money in the pot. Uh, to try and pick the winner, and eight out of ten times they were all wrong. So you don't know unless you test. That's the first important thing to know about this. The second thing is, there is a reason the Mother Earth News reader and the American Spectator reader worked, because they do have an important commonality. Now they are as far apart in many ways as you could be and still be on planet Earth. However, The commonality they share is a mindset of self-reliance. That they have in common. And this is a pitch about being self-reliant. So the second thing that's important to know is you need to think about the mindset of your customer, the mindset of your prospect. And as an aside... Don't miss being in the room this evening because one of the many things Sally will show you is how to do a better job of matching yourself to the mindset of the ideal customer you want. She's actually going to show you, by the way, my archetypes and the makeup of this audience statistically by archetype. And you will see that the room is here because of a certain connections to me. I don't say that arrogantly. I'm just, I'm not even saying it's good. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying that it is what it is. And mindset's a very important thing in marketing that most people don't think about a lot. They think about demographic statistics. They don't really think about what is my, what's my good customers thinking all about? And how can I find more people who think like that good customer? And so the last thing, there's a quote. I have used it. It is true as far as it goes. It comes from W. Clement Stone. And it says, the sale is contingent upon the attitude of the salesperson, not the prospect. Right? Now, it's true as far as it goes. It is usually said by sales managers to underperforming salespeople who are complaining about their leads. 
right? That's what it was written for. Okay? Clem didn't write it, actually, his philosophy. He wrote it because he was managing a bunch of insurance sales agents, and he needed to convince them that it don't matter, sales up here, not out there. And there's truth to it, but it's a great way to have a miserable life as a salesperson. I tried to rely on it early. It's like overcoming with brute force is really what it is. And so it's true as far as it goes, but it's also an abject lie because the sale is also contingent upon the attitude or the mindset of the prospect. And smart people figure out a way to be selling whoever they're selling or whatever they are selling to people with the best possible mindset for buying it. Because here's what I learned early in selling, real early in selling. So I had, Dave mentioned 800 Brian Tracy CDs in a car. I mean, I had a car with the front seat littered with motivational tapes, and it wasn't a really good car. Um, it was purchased for $50, um, uh, 25 of that on payments. Um, and here's what I discovered. The best attitude in the world, best product in the world, best proposition in the world, best presentation in the world. Not much better than the shittiest attitude, the crappiest product, the worst presentation. If you can't figure out how to get in front of people who are appropriate, able, and willing to buy from you. So a lot of people forget that part of the puzzle, and that part of the puzzle is really, really important. It's one of the things that you know, our emphasis is on in all the work we do with you uh, here at GKIC is getting this piece of the puzzle right. So you are spending your resources on people who are most appropriate to buy from you and who will resonate with you. So that's some stuff from my 40 years. I'm over time. I hope it was helpful. Thank you very much. See you later. You've been listening to one of our gold members-only podcasts. Make sure you upgrade and become a Diamond member and get access to the Diamond members-only podcast as well. On top of that, you'll also get access to the whole enchilada with all of Dan's courses and so much more. So make sure you upgrade to Diamond now by going to diamondupgrade.com.